0: transaction like it it's the type of transaction that one is good because you're getting the patient to do something they should do i.e clean their lids better Mm -hmm. but two it's super high profit for you so i mean that's kind of where the fries order order started from the just conversation around it but it doesn't have to be cleanser it can be vitamins i mean vitamins have a similar like the math on vitamins is very Mm -hmm. similar so
1: no i wow you just you said a whole lot let's let's break that apart a little bit. And, uh, um, and then I want to introduce you too, because we just kind of jumped in and started talking the uh, but you said that patients and, and customers. So I'll use that term uh, intermixed. I, I don't think in optometry, we consider patients as customers enough as we should. Um, that might be a different discussion. But they're desperate for you to solve their problem. It got me thinking I've never walked into a McDonald's and said I've hung- I'm hungry. What should I get? Sell me your menu. I walk in, I stare at the menu, start the menu, I default to chicken nuggets or a Big Mac. And you know, do you want fries with that? Do you want a soda with that? Uh, do you not? Do you want a soda? But what size soda do you want with that? Right? And then, um, you know, do you want some cookies? And uh, or, or the apple pie, the apple pie gets me almost every time. But it's they're desperate for you to solve the problem. But they don't come in asking, saying, Hey, I'm desperate for you to solve the problem. Right? right. am here, help me. Or, yeah. or I'm here. Right. And so the underlying, discussion or communication is, is I wouldn't be here if there wasn't a problem. Right. And so, so so help me. So, you know, I was reading,
0: I, I'm a nerd. So I spent a good chunk of the day, yeah, reading we're all research that various people have done on optometrists. So optometrists in 2022, in um, uh, said that 33% of them are planning to get into myopia management in 2023, and 27% are planning to open up a deeper dry eye practice. So those are the two types of products that we spend time on why there's two big reasons why reason number one is this is what the patients are asking for. Right. And mm-hmm. so patients now are coming in more often saying I have eye discomfort. My eyes are red. They're itchy. I, I get a headache at the end of the day, fill in the blank. So naturally ocular surface ends up being a place that people are going, yep. but they don't know the words. So if I say to a random patient on the street, hey, you have dry eyes? They're like, no, my eyes, I, actually it waters a lot. Like, I I don't know what you're talking about. They They don't know what they're talking about. So they're walking in basically with symptoms and you have to both diagnose and translate that diagnosis to some sort of treatment. So you have to kind of say, hey, look, that redness and itchiness is caused by the fact that you're not having good tear quality and you're not having enough tears. Here's how we solve that. Mm-hmm. And that leads to, hey, this isn't, This is not the same thing as having a sore throat and having strep throat. This is a permanent, you have to wash your lids every day, right? That sort of stuff is hard because when you walk into McDonald's, we've been desensitized to what you're buying. But if I just dropped you on a foreign planet and said, go figure out how to buy food, you'd be like, I I, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) That's essentially what we've done in optometry clinics. We've said, hey, you need to fix your eyes. We put the onus on the patient often to be able to catch all the stuff the doctor says, and then be able to translate that on Amazon or go to Walgreens and buy the correct products for the diagnosis of mybomian gland dysfunction, which, by the way, I'm not a doctor, couldn't say the word mybomian for like two years. I was impressed. Uh, so I just want to be clear that, like, that's the level that I walk in. I assume everybody is as dumb as me, which means we don't know what you're talking about. So help <laughs> us figure out what it is you're saying. So that we can then go, oh, and it's even easier if you just said, oh, we've already, we've already figured that out. Here's the kit that solves your problem. Mm-hmm. Or hey, you know, doctor said you have dry eye. Let's get you started on some tea tree oil. Do you want the 50 milliliter or the 180 milliliter? Or hey, doctor said you had dry eye. Our dry eyes use fish oil. Here's what we do with our fish oil. Let's get you started. Yeah. You know, those are easy things for the patient to go, oh yeah, doctor did say that. You know, yep. now, now I just need to translate that into my action. So the part of that that I think is a major struggle as we move, you know, as you say, what do we see in the market? Compliance is the biggest issue that we're seeing right now. So a patient walks out of the office with 50 milliliters of tree oil and some fish oil and, you know, maybe a warm compress and 30 days later, they don't come back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So does that mean their dry eyes fixed? Are they done? Like, do they, are they just like, oh, magic? And you know, with your staff, one of the things I said is, imagine if you went to the dentist and they gave you 30 day supply of toothpaste, yeah. you brushed your teeth for 30 days and then six months later showed back up and was like, oh yeah, I did that. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> imagine what your breath would smell like. <laughs> imagine what the dentist would say. Imagine what all the people around you. And yet, how wow. often do you walk around or see somebody at a PTA and be like, wow, that person's lids, their eyes look awful.
1: They're gross. Like,
0: every day, right? Yeah. Every day. I mean, I had, I was at a holiday party last night and I mean, I talked to four people and I was just like, Hey, I got, I got some stuff in the car. Like you just like really ha- look like your eyes hurt. And they're like, they do hurt. I'm like, yeah, you need to clean them better. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we'll take care of that.
0: And it's just, it, that stuff we're not doing enough of.
1: Nope. So, so you, you brought up the, the idea of helping us, helping us communicate to patients that and customers, what not only what, not only what their problem is, but understanding their problem. I'm yeah. not just saying you've got dry, you've got my bone, me gland dis- disease. When you work with offices, do you find that in what I've seen, I'm curious your experience, I see they either go too quick. So just here's your diagnosis and we move on or they get way too much in the weeds that you've yep. lost the, the patient in the weeds. Where's that happy medium and how do I figure out how to get there? How do I get my team to that happy medium? So
0: there's there's sort of five steps in that transaction that we've sort of mapped out. So the step is doctor basically says, we're diagnosing you with blank, Mm -hmm. and we want you to do blank. By the way, a lot of doctors don't say, and we want you to do blank. They just say, hey, you have, you know, blank, whatever the problem is. So first, the doctor has to make sure that they translate the problem into whatever they're going to dispense to solve the problem. So that could be an RX, that could be you know, it could be any number of things. Second thing is that translation is most effective if you hand the patient something that's called a patient priming behavior. Mm-hmm. So you can hand them a card that essentially says, hey, you have, you know, blank, and we want you to do this. It could be as easy. Drew Bateman does this really well, Dr. Drew Bateman and Lincoln, he has teacher oil in his office, and he just hands him the teacher oil and he says, I want you to get started on this. And it's almost 100% conversion. So it can be as simple as just handing them the product. That Mm -hmm. second step is you're gonna hand off to staff, right? So staff may be like, oh, it's in the EHR. Or, oh, I wrote it on my note. But is that note being carried through to every station? Is that EHR being referenced at checkout? So that if, you know, you say, hey, we're gonna get you started on a new pair of glasses. Oh, and Jane over here wants to get sons. And, you know, maybe they're in with their kids. And so there's a, the transaction is actually complicated that transaction has to be crossed over from doctor to to staff and Mm -hmm. then potentially from staff over to another staff who's gonna do checkout. So you have a couple steps in there and those steps all have both the interaction, which is the handoff, and now what am I saying to the patient as they're going through the process of whatever's next? Oh, we're, we're looking at, you know, glasses. Well, is the patient gonna lose track of anything else other than buying a new pair of glasses? Particularly a patient that walked in and didn't know that they had whatever the diagnosis was, and they just thought, oh, I can't see very well, so I need a new pair of glasses. That patient really needs something that says, hey, by the way, we're also going to solve the discomfort or the headaches or the fill in the blank by doing this thing. And that really needs to be handled, not just with words, but you know, and and I can't speak for everyone, but like this has got to be dumbtastically simple. Like it has to be like hieroglyphics, right? So like translate to them, like wash your lids, like a picture of somebody washing their eyelids or a picture uh-huh. of somebody putting drops in their eyes. If you give them a 45 page document that explains all the downsides of restasis Guess what? They're not reading it. So no. if you're expecting them to catch the thing on you know, page 22 that you mentioned, they won't see it because they're not going to read it. It's got to be super, super, super simple. And the, and the staff needs to know, oh, my job is to emphasize certain things based on what is being handed off to me. So if I'm getting handed off glasses, we've trained our staffs very well to be able to sell a pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. But if I'm getting handed off dry eye i'm getting handed off hey we want to set up a next appointment because this is a person who is a suspect for blank that translation needs to be something that gets emphasized throughout the process not just at the point of checkout because the person might be like oh i'm solved i got my glasses so i'm good so we right. have to make sure that we're passing that through so that follow-up happens does that make sense
1: it makes a lot of sense it's uh so it's really a a I mean an orchestra or, or a you know a I'm trying to think of the, uh, you know, everybody's got their role to play in this, in, in this experience that the patient's getting to make sure one, they understand what they're getting two they get what they're supposed to be getting. Yep. Yep. Um, and one of the big things for us was that priming because we talked about it. Um, it was actually interesting because one of my staff members said, well, I don't want to give it to them at the front end because what if they walk out without paying? So that's, that's, that's easy to solve. We put it in their ledger right away so that it's already there. But once they have it in hand, um there's something psychological I think about having it in hand and then having to put it back
0: yeah 100 percent. there's I mean the the other thing that was interesting in your office was I said how do you prime the patient to buy I think we were talking about a box at the time mm-hmm. how do you prime the prime the patient to and your staff member gave like a four-minute answer and I just walked over <laughs> took a box and handed it <laughs> and to her. her and and the point of that is like we try to talk our way through this and like I was in my wife's office the other day and the person working the desk basically was like, oh, you can get all of this at Walmart too. And it's like, why are you selling for the Walmart Scions? Why are you selling for Jeff Bezos? Sell for yourself, you have the same products, usually at the same or better prices. Yeah. Like what is the invitation to somebody to be like, hey, let me make this an incredible pain in your butt where you're gonna have to go <laughs> all the way back and drive 15 miles that other way to get this other thing, go inside, you know, and, and we think of it like, oh, we're giving you an opportunity to to check prices, or we're giving you an opportunity to save two pennies. Instead of the patient has walked in and basically been like, I just want you to solve the problem, yeah. solve my problem. My eyes hurt, I can't see, you know. And it's like, do it right there, right then, and it's gonna, you know, it, it's gonna solve most of their problems. Now, all that being said, are there patients that are gonna want to go to Costco and get their prescriptions filled? Hundred percent. Are there patients that are gonna want to? you know, go to Walmart and check that they can save two cents. Yeah. But the point of that is that patient is probably not the patient that is making the doctor a ton of money, right? And so as you think about who your best patients are, your best patients are the ones that are sitting there going, I will pay you to solve this problem. And part of my problem is convenience. Part of my problem is simplicity. Part of my problem is I want to understand clearly what is expected of me over the next Thirty days, three months, six months, etc.
1: Yep, no, one hundred percent. I remember that distinctly when uh, when you you interrupted the four minute answer, didn't say a word, just sit here, right, and, and handed it to the box, and uh, and the whole room had light bulbs go off over their head. So, and it,
0: it's way simpler than people think it is. Like literally, if you hand them the product after you talk about it, you've converted a hundred percent, basically. So like our numbers on that are between 90 and 100 percent, depending on the office if you just talk about it it's about 20 percent, because it makes it really easy for everybody to forget and not bring it up or for you to be in that awkward point where your checkout person is trying to sell somebody on a thing that they don't remember the doctor said
1: yeah
0: and so it's like if you can take all of that element out and really extend sort of the transaction to pre-checkout where they're walking around with the things either in their bag or their purse or whatever it is a really easy way to add some value for your per patient or per exam revenue. So,
1: um, anyway, well, it's an easy way of, of helping them get what they need as well, Uh, because you, you don't have to convince the yes, the the yes is implied and the importance is implied. Um, you know, I don't, I don't ask them if they want to come back for their glaucoma follow-up or progress evaluation check or whatnot. I just say I've got Tuesday at two o'clock available. Does that work for you? Uh,
0: and, and I think, you know, we don't do enough in the optometry space to replicate what they've done in dentistry, whether that's pre-appointing, et cetera. But one of the things is it's implied you're washing, you're brushing your teeth every day. It's implied. Like mm-hmm. the, the hygiene process is implied in a way that we don't imply it, but we also haven't built that sort of muscle memory for people. Like we're on the front end of building that muscle memory, but it's rare when we go in and audit offices that the doctors actually say, are you washing your eyelids every day? Yeah. like just are you washing your eyelids every day and like it's rare it shows up in the questionnaire it's rare and like when we go out and just ask our focus groups how many people wash their eyelids uh it's about 50 50 washing their eyelids yeah. every day so in not to reveal too much about your office but i asked how many people wash their eyelids and only 66 of your staff washed their eyelids in the previous 24 hours and and the point of that is like if we're not modeling the behavior Like, if we're not out there, always doing the things that we're saying that are easy. Yeah, it's hard for us to get other people to change their behavior. So I was right before this, I was doing I was like I said, I was doing research. I was rereading Chris Wolf's initial like memo about why peak was founded. And one of the things that he specifically wrote in there was how eyelid hygiene is the first step in solving like half of the ocular surface issues in the country. There's just like washing your lids every day, just it's like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. That's clinically backed. That's, you know, and it's like, that's not hard. No, you know, that's three minutes a day.
1: But it's something we to, don't,
0: we don't do it. So no.
1: something to focus on. Um, hey, we you, you've talked about being a nerd, you've talked about the research you're doing. Um, yeah, obviously, you're, you're, you're working with, uh, with Chris and, and Cheryl Chapman, your wife, the, um, but I neglected to, uh, to properly introduce you because talking with you is so fun. So give us just a bit of background on on you know wh- what you're bringing to the table why the uh, the focus groups you know the insights that, that you share um really I mean for us make a huge difference in matter. so what's your what's your background
0: yeah so Tom Chapman founder of Peak with Dr Chris Wolf who is an optometrist here in mm-hmm. Omaha and my wife Dr Cheryl Chapman who's also uh an optometrist here Chris has a whole bunch of different ventures around billing and coding. He's a key opinion leader around dry eye. Cheryl's a key opinion leader around myopia management, is the president of the AAOMC. I am none of those things. I am, I am a multi-time entrepreneur. I've been venture capital backed multiple times, mostly with software. So I've built uh, four or five software companies that are pretty big. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the one that people reference around the country is a company called Beehive Industries. It's a light asset management software that helps small and medium-sized cities. Um, You know, my forte is to take businesses from scratch and get them up so that they're profitable. Um, Within that, I was approached by Chris and Cheryl five or six years ago, and they essentially said, hey, um, we think people should probably wash their eyelids more frequently. Uh, Can you help us figure out how to build a company that does this. Like we, and and specifically it was around doing market research around the BlefX. Mm-hmm. So we did do research on the BlefX and we were like, it's not a big enough market to target blepharitis in office. Like BlefX is doing a good job. It's a product that we don't think we should try to compete with. But in our conversations with doctors and like, so the process essentially of doing that market research is you go out and you kind of like Google, how big is the dry eye market? How big is the optometry market? So like the optometry market in the United States is about 80 million $80 billion. The dry yeah. eye part of that is between seven and 8 billion, depending on whose research you look at. Um, if you look at how many sufferers there are, et cetera. So you start and you do a top down and then you do a bottom up. And the bottom up is you go and talk to Dr. Warner and you say, Dr. Warner, how many you know blepharitis patients do you see per month and you might say oh i see seven per month uh and we kind of do the math and we say all right if you see seven and you do you know 250 dollars per how big is that market you kind of want to see the market be roughly the same size from top down and bottom up so when you have a huge gap you're like well we don't really know when you start to see the market come together where you can go like all right this is pretty big you start to go oh this is an interesting opportunity so compare you know, the bleph X blepharitis market and say it's 40 to $50 million and compare that to dry eye, which is a seven or $8 billion market. The seven or $8 billion market is the more interesting type of market for you to build a company into. Mm-hmm. So when we talk to doctors, they would say things, and this was a very common phrase, which was just like, oh, by the way, you know, so we're asking about the bleph X blepharitis, et cetera. And by the way, if you can just figure out how to get people to wash their lids, that'd be awesome. Cause eyelids are gross. And like, We're like well that's interesting and if you hear it you know if you do 50 interviews and you hear 35 different people sort of have that as an insight you start going like well what does that mean and you start going like well how is that market put together what does it look like so we started going out and and sort of pivoted a little bit down the path to say like i think what we want to do is really have this behavioral change for consumers for patients to actually change the way they take care of their eyes and as we dug into that we discovered things like oh People are looking at screens more often. We blink less frequently, mm-hmm. so it's a hundred more minutes from 2013 to 2023 in terms of the amount of time Americans are on screens.
1: How more minutes a day?
0: Per day, wow! Uh, and we blink per uh, you know 20 to 33 percent, depending on which study you read, but just a lot less frequently. Yep. When you're doing that, you're just not creating good quantities of tears, and you're causing dry eye. Add to that medicine, Accutane, medical procedures, LASIK. Uh, add to that environmental factors, wildfires, air conditioning. And you just have seen this huge shift. So from 2000 to 2020, 3, three million Americans had dry eye to 20 million Americans have dry eye. Mm-hmm. By 2030, it's supposed to be 40 million Americans with dry eye. You know, some of that is age. Some of that is like, you know, it's more female to, 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 right. to men. It's, you know, two to one. So you all know all of this, but as somebody who doesn't, you know, who's not doctoring, who's looking at this as a market opportunity, we do a bunch of market research around those sorts of things to say, well, what's the right approach for us to take a 55 year old woman whose eyes hurt, who has dry eye, but doesn't know what it means and turn that into somebody that's a compliant patient that a doctor's talked to. We think there's two different paths. The first path is The optometrists who are the thought leaders on this have to be able to talk to their patients about dry eye in a way that the patient who is essentially completely uneducated Mm -hmm. can talk can go, oh, that makes sense to me. So if I go to if I go to like, you know, my mom and say, hey, tell me about dry eye, she'll be like, oh, it means your eyes are dry. And it's like, well, that's (laughs) not really what it means. Right. You know what I mean? That those aren't even the symptoms often that you have eyes that are dry. And, and that's the challenge. It's right. We have oh we have a phrase that isn't necessarily overlapping, and it, it's kind of the same thing around some of the other things. So I mentioned earlier, thirty three percent of offices in twenty twenty two were looking to add myopia management, so some sort of orthokeratology or some some sort of atropine into their office. Well, if you go and just talk to a random parent, you know, a thirty five year old parent who had who works in a bank and say, hey, we're going to do this stuff with atropine, and we're going to the primary care physician is going to be one of the people they ask, is this a thing? How often does that primary care physician be like, Oh my gosh, you can't use atropine in the eyes. That's insane. Or you can't do this or you can't do this. Like it's important that that thought leadership comes from the top of the doctor, the doctor, the most trusted healthcare person in the country, by the way, also the most trusted person to recommend a product in the country is saying things associated with why this is an important thing. So, So think of the behavior change we're trying to emphasize when it comes to whether it's peak or just like dry eye treatment. And it's like thought leadership is number one, Mm -hmm. hence why we go to optometrists, hence why we talk to optometrists. But then the second piece is how do you push that up? So one of our markets that we spend a lot of time with is actually dance teams. So we've talked about this offline before, but we were shocked when we did our focus group. So a focus group is usually a group, think of like a big table. So it could be six to 12 people where you sort of, you present, you know, maybe you have them all wash their face with a cleanser and say, tell us about what you think. How does it smell like, et cetera, where you're trying to get sort of group think to come out and kind of reveal stuff. But you also okay. ask questions like, tell us what it looks like when you wash your face at night. And it's like, how are you feeling? What is it? And often you lead with doing individual interviews and then you probe into a group that might be able to elicit more thoughts and feelings from each other as they're going through that process. So we'll go to a focus group. And so we did focus groups in the fall of 2020. So during COVID, yep. it was really tricky. We did them very via Zoom, it was awful. But <laughs> it revealed that these dance teams are dying for something to take off false eyelashes because it's such a pain in the butt that you go to an event that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday night, you gotta get your lashes off and then you're reapplying them on Friday morning and then Friday night you're taking them off and then Saturday morning you're reapplying and then Saturday night you're taking them off. And it's- and and it takes 30 minutes with sort of their standard washing procedure, whereas terpinforol tea tree oil actually has a chemical reaction with the and You just take them right off. And so mm. it took something that was 30 minutes down to five. We didn't know. Like we didn't, st- it's not like there's clinical research that's like, here's how you take off falsies. Yeah. Um, you know, it 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 was a thing that came out because these moms had come to these focus groups, tested the product and had their daughters test it, and they found that it took off these false eyelashes. So two Fridays in a row we had moms pounding on the door like we'll take everything you have in your newest batch we'll buy it all cuz we're going to a, we're going to a competition this weekend
1: and that's a good problem to have
0: yeah i mean so the point of that is when you're thinking about how to build a market from scratch you're kind of thinking both like how do you create thought leadership around this is a real problem that needs to be solved as well as some virality to people who are in cl- that's an urgent problem it's a top three problem. So for a dance mom going to a dance competition with thirty girls that they have to get the eyelashes off, it's an urgent problem. Yeah. And so we kind of think about that whole process as how do we get the customers to drive us towards these decisions rather than us just saying, "Oh, you know, we know what's best." It's usually like, "Oh, we had no idea that that was out there. That's interesting." And then we drill into it, put data around it, etc., test it see how it, you know, responds in the market, see what other products are necessary around it. So anyway, all that's,
1: that's super cool. I had, I, we had talked about a little bit of how you got to, uh, to what you're doing, but I, I would have never thought that that's what came out of it. And I, I, my uh, false eyelash wearing experience is none. Um, Same. My daughters do, you know, my daughters are dancers and and they do their thing in the bathroom and come out fine. But uh, it, it, they did appreciate the being able to take off the makeup easier. Um, my youngest appreciates the, uh, the, just how it helps her acne. Um, you know, and little things that I didn't bring it in as an optometrist to treat, cause I'm treating dry eye. You know, I'm worried about the demodex and the, the, the colorettes and things that build up.
0: So, so one of the things you asked me to talk about that, this seems like a good segue from where we are Perfect. is the personas of doctors that we use. Yes. So, um, we, you know, we've interacted now with more than 500 doctors where we spend time with them. And, you know, sometimes that's 10 minutes at a trade show, but frequently it's in some depth where we've spent two or three hours together. We at peak have 11 personas. And and I'm telling you this less because it's like, one, I think you thought it was funny that we had all these personas yeah. that did that. But two, when we think about how to provide advice to our clinics, we usually say, who's your perfect customer? So, cheryl who is in a in a suburban area upper middle class it's the fastest growing community in nebraska really is targeting moms with three or more kids because they buy 5.3 pairs of glasses per year in her clinic there's about 40 of those parents sitting in her patient profile so we do the same thing with our customers. We go through and we say, who's our best customer? Like who is the easiest for us to sell, buys the most, sells the most, repeats the most, et cetera. And I could go through and say, oh, here's our list, but that seems a little inappropriate. But we have two different, we have two different groups that we specifically target. So we have a group that we call Denise Majors. Denise Denise Majors is an empire builder. So, and again, she's female part of that is there are a lot of females entering optometry, but Mm -hmm. a high percentage of our best customers are female optometrists because they've had the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So when they're like, Oh, I get how this works, et cetera, et cetera. So most of our personas are actually female. So Denise Majors, uh, usually about 40 to 50 years old, multiple practices, has a real focus on building the business part. So you might call her a business business or business science optometrist. Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody that's focused on the science or science business the second group is jen walker jen walker is a key opinion leader so my wife is a typical jen walker so science business but like has a good robust practice but is very interested in how do i take this thing that i know to be scientifically true and get it to my patients in a way that it becomes useful from a business perspective. So she has done a great job around myopia management. And in that she's done a really good job of identifying, here's how I'm going to get to the customers, etc. But it's because she's a super nerd around myopia management, not because she's like, Ah, this is how I make bank, her excitement. She's like, No, I want to treat that specific thing. So when we look at the market, if you said somebody walks in, who's our top two, those are the two that we're looking for that walk in, because those are, those are one, the easiest ones for us to talk to. And two, typically understand why subscriptions and why boxes and why the products make sense from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. We have some other groups that we sort of like, we have one that's called Denise Tusey. Denise Tusey is like a husband and wife combination. So a wife optometrist, husband is like the clinic operator. So maybe it's the office manager or the business manager. And it, it can be reversed, it's often reversed. They make a decision usually in like as a couple and so like, they're often having conversations with each other about, should we do this? Should we not do this? What should go in a box? Which products do we, which products do we have? So the optometrist in that relationship is usually heavily science and the non-optometrist is usually heavily business. And then we have a couple, we have a couple, like we have one that we can we call uh, Yale Trammell OD that's Yale for Trammell, young, Yale Trammell stands for young traditionalist. So. You know, it could be somebody who's 30 years old, but sees the market very much how the market was 30 or 40 years ago. So is thinking about this like my job is to bring a pa- is to bring a patient in and get them into the right pair of glasses and get them out, see them again in a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm really thinking of this market as I'm a doctor who cuts glasses, as opposed to somebody that's like I'm a heavy science science doctor that wants to go deep. So we have a heavy science doctor. I, this is, this person buys frequently from us, but they're really hard for us, like hard in a good way, but like they are challenging. They want to see all the clinical evidence for everything we've ever done. So that's the Kathy Zhang uh, customer. And that customer will call us and just essentially say, Hey, can you give me, you know, the four clinical studies around Turpin for all, I really want to understand how you're doing this or might say, well, I don't believe that the wave is safe because of vibration. And we say, well, here's the 35 you know, here's there's really two tracks around vibration. One is Department of Defense, which is kind of whole body vibration. Then one is specifically about vibration on rat eyes and rabbit eyes. And we're like, here's that pile of research, but they wanna read it all. And they want you to basically quote like page 27 from report X and it's like, look, I'm I'm not a doctor. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, I believe that that's a good question, but we'll have to get Cheryl or Chris to answer it. Um, but we have 11 of these. And in that, in that, you know, we, we know when we talk to somebody, they're a good target. This goes back really to the point that we were talking about earlier, which is if somebody's making a decision based on two cents on your eye drops that you're selling in your clinic because it's two cents cheaper at yep. Walmart, they're probably not your perfect customer. Like mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of customers that are going to do that. So for a lot of doctors, that's been, oh, this person is a big, you know, this this group is a big insurance carrier, and we have a hard time selling extra or making money or doing all that. Or maybe it's this, you know, in this office location, we have a whole cluster of people that um, fill in the blank, don't come in on Tuesdays, because there's something going on. Like those are important things that are unique to every practice. Not every practice has the same personas or types of customers. Even if Aaron, who's in suburban San Diego, talks to Chris, who's in suburban Omaha. Those customers are not the same people. Like they don't have the same buying habits, et cetera. So like one of the things that we see that's a pretty a, a big sort of differentiator is people often wanna know on the West Coast, what's in your products, what's your environmental standard, all these sorts of things. Whereas in the Midwest, that question never comes up. And I'm not valuing that as a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying that changes difference. the customer dynamic. Yeah. And so those sorts of questions are the types of things that if you understand your question, i mean, sorry, if you understand your customer, you're really going to be able to drill into different ways to be able to serve them better. Yeah.
1: Well, I like what you just said, cause we're not, we're not segmenting people to segment people. We're segmenting people so that we can better communicate with them, understand their drivers, right? So that you can serve them better. So no, I dare to ask who am I, what, what doctor type am, uh, am I in the time that you've, uh, you've worked with me?
0: Uh, one who doesn't show up in clinic very often, um, I don't, a, doc, a doctor who does podcasts. I don't know. You're, you're, one on a different wall. I think you're the, you're, you know, uh, I can go find one. We'll put a little one over there and be like, this is the Aaron Werner. Uh, put,
1: put a little asterisk on there. I don't know if that's a good thing that I'm all by myself or not. I'll take um, it as a good thing.
0: I, so I tend to think anybody that ends up talking to me for this long is probably somewhere in the, in the business part, either business business or business science Mm -hmm. for no other reason than you're obviously working outside of sort of the normal optometry channels so Mm -hmm. most optometrists are going to work in a clinic they're going to see patients for a big portion so as you see people shift into a different bucket you know that tends to be an indicator that they're going to be over on the business side Mm -hmm. so um you know one of my favorite personas And I would like to say this is you, but it's definitely not, is the one we call Aisha (laughs) Kingfisher, which is code for cosmetics queen. So somebody that is really interested in the cosmetics part of what we do. So maybe is running a new dry eye spa or something along those lines, but they tend to have a lot of the same questions that you have. You just aren't interested in cosmetics. You see it as a black box that people do. So you're,
1: you're a one of one. I don't have a personal relationship with the, with cosmetics. Um, no, I, I. I enjoy the business side i enjoy the growth and the learning opportunities and and just anybody that's a wealth of knowledge i try to soak up as much as i can because quite frankly i'm not smart enough to come up with it on my own so i want to steal it from you and figure out how to turn around and apply it back to to my team so that they're successful right so that's cool now did you guys came up with with these 11 types on your own is mm-hmm. was it was an initiative within uh just to help you better understand how to engage with with your customers who were the practice owners?
0: So it comes, it's it's actually kind of an interesting story. So we started with, you know, interacting with optometrists and mm-hmm. people were having a hard time keeping who we were talking about straight. So we'd be like, oh, Dr. Smith. And they'd be like, who's Dr. Smith? And so we needed a shorthand to sort of say, oh yeah, 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 this doctor kind of buys on these types of issues, price, proximity, you know fill in the blank, and that led to us going into more depth because we thought well who's our instagram targeted at who's oh. our you know who is our direct mail targeted at who is you know each of these things so we actually will for most of our direct email it's targeted at denise major jen walker one or the other but if you looked at like our direct mail it's really targeted at somebody who's a more traditional like what our best frankly our best Uh, marketing pieces of the last year were direct mail. Mm -hmm. So we're going to a trade show, come to the booth, we'll give you a gift, have been very effective at getting people to come through. That was a real surprise to me because like direct mail was so out of vogue for so long. But frankly, it's really hard to get through to talk to optometrists because you're typically ending up with front desk who goes into the back room. It's really easy to screen us out and be like, well, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't know that person, etc. So just getting through some sort of gatekeeper has been a thing but we write that with the idea that like this is an optometrist who's reading the direct mail who's getting their mail out of the box and they're reading it well that's not every office in fact denise major and jen walker aren't reading their mail it's their office manager and it's getting thrown in the trash it's never getting to them so it's got to be somebody that's seeing it so you know when you think about how you communicate we think of those personas as sort of a shorthand to be like oh this is a good way not not we don't want to talk to you as humans, but this is a good way yeah. for us to see oh, here's three things that you might care about because other people like you have cared about it, and that's so different doctor to doctor that it's yeah. really easy for us to be able to be a little smarter about, like, oh, here's some stuff that you probably care about more than the average doctor. So,
1: you know, what I love about that is, is and I like personality profiles, I like disc profiling, um, but it's super nerdy and to put people nerdy. in those boxes. But if I can relate. Uh, what you're doing is you're, you're humanizing those traits. And so now you can talk to them about a person. That person has emotions. They have their own feelings, you know, where sometimes personality profiles are sterile. And, yeah. uh, and so then internally you can talk like, it sounds like you do within your team, you know, here's this, you know, this doctor is, is a Denise major, you know, this marketing piece is targeted to this, uh, uh I'm drawing a blank on the names, but you get what I'm saying, right? It humanizes it. It puts a face to it. It puts a, a, an emotion, a personality to it. Um, And it is a way to build your internal team because now you've got your own secret language. That's exactly right. That really just drives that culture. We do that in the office already. We shorthand just naturally stuff. Um, no, this is, this is very cool.
0: Um, the other thing that I would say is if you're looking to do this for your office, so if you're like, how do I do this for my office in a shorthand way? Um, there's a tool out there that's made by Esri E S R I, called market segment tapestry. Um, and you can go put in your zip code. And I would say most optometry clinics can do it by zip code, and they'll give you the top five kind of personas Okay, for your area. Um, so pretty sure it's Esri.org. Or if you just type in Esri market segment tapestry, you can get right to it, put in your zip code, and they'll give you your top five. That's very um, cool. And yeah, I mean, so it's really useful because they'll give you stuff like, how do you approach this person? Is it a social media, Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it, you know, TV ads, like all those sorts of things that people I think aren't quite sure what to do with our customers. We start with that. So like when we have a customer before we sort of start really getting into the weeds, we'll usually type in a zip code to be like, okay, who are they seeing? You know, what type of patient is probably walking in the door? Is this, you know, a super um, wealthy community uh, where they're probably in there buying thousand dollar frames. Or is this a place where most of the frames on the board are going to be, you know, 150 to 300 understanding sort of the market dynamics again, allow us to basically be like, Hey, you know, here's a thing your patients can use. And I'll be honest, most of the time uh, we've been surprised that we're just really wrong. It uh, like a charismatic doctor can pretty much sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo, right? I mean, it's like, the doctor is driving a lot of that behavior in a way that like we were, were you know baffled when we yeah. walk into some of the places that are super successful with their stuff because we're like how are you doing so we spend a lot of time auditing our best doctors to be like oh that's interesting like they do these three things so a lot of what i'm talking about isn't tom smartness it's other doctors who are we're like oh nailed it super good but you've, you've picked you picked know up I mean? on it yep so
1: that makes a yeah, lot of we- sense and uh yeah the market segments is great if, if we're in vision source. And so we get the, uh, they would a, provide a geospatial report that names the segments. It sounds very, very similar and super helpful to know, you know, who to curate your office towards to it. Yep. That's your market. You want to set it up for, for, for the customer so that they feel comfortable where they're at. So, um,
0: one of the other things that we've seen a lot as we've done, this is one of I think the common misconceptions of offices, is that I should be trying to get new customers from social media. And really, the only way you're going to generate new leads from social media is if your customers are sharing your content, Mm -hmm. because it has to get outside of the people who are following you, because mostly it's just doctors and patients that are following you. So if you say to a patient, hey, you should, you know, like come in and get blank free if you do blah, blah, blah. The patient is unlikely to share that they might just do that. So we tend to say, use your uh, social for education. Use your social to be able to provide more data and get a touch point with somebody on a regular basis. That's Dr. Werner talking to his patient, not Tom giving you a very well-produced thing to go to your patient. Yeah, right. Because your patients like scroll away, scroll away. Whereas if you say hey computer vision syndrome is a big problem the 2020 rule that is way more compelling than an incredibly well crafted peak card that talks about the 2020 rule and we you know we look at it we test products back and forth like the um engagement is about 200 percent higher when the really? doctor says the same thing as when we say it and it's just it it could be two to zero or you know three to one it's not i mean i don't want to give you the impression it's 400 to like
1: 100 right or something
0: it, but The point of that is like doctors, when they think about what their marketing is, they're doing two types of marketing. They're speeding up the speed by which somebody comes back. So in the United States, people come to see their eye doctor on average every 28 months. So if you can get people to pre-appoint or to come back every 12 months, you need 3,300 patients in your folder as opposed to 8,700 patients. The second thing they're doing is you're looking at a way to increase what we call wallet share versus market share. So if I can get my patient to spend $500 in clinic, as opposed to $300, because they know I'm offering alternative things, Mm -hmm. then that patient is a more valuable patient to me as an office. And that means I don't have to work as hard to get that other $200 from a new patient. And so, you know, we, we tend to think about different ways that we can get patients to do that. I mean, a lot of what Peaks built on is that idea of wallet share. How do we get a patient to spend the money with the clinic instead of at walmart how do we get the patient to spend you know money getting a
1: subscription from you rather than from amazon yeah which is what i would want too then i can i've got more con i don't want to say control but i've got more influence over the product they're getting so i know they're getting good stuff that that can help them um you know tons of tons of good stuff here and i think that uh everybody listening is seeing why bringing you out for for a little bit and having you talk to the team um and correct me if I'm wrong because you've got the numbers I know we just replaced a big order but we sold that afternoon uh, the amount of facial cleanser that we had previously taken four to six weeks to sell before
0: yeah so I'm going to say some things that are I'm I'm not going to throw uh your office under the bus I'm just going to talk
1: I'm the leader of the office so anything that happens there is my responsibility so you have to throw us under the bus but be honest
0: so a couple things that we see, the first thing we see is we will ask doctors, do your patients comply? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah." yeah. they'll be like, <coughs> how many patients have purchased, have walked back in to buy fish oil, tea tree oil, et cetera. Uh-huh. Tea oil is a little easier because most people don't go to Amazon and just randomly search for tea tree oil. I mean, like not none, but it's it's unlikely yep. that they're being super compliant. Fish oil people will get from the grocery store or wherever. Mm-hmm. So when we ask that question, the doctor's like tons. And then you ask the staff, maybe not tons, but they also with their boss standing right there, aren't like none. And what we see, like what we should see is if you say 40 patients bought teacher oil this month, well, next month you would want those 40 to be buying again if they're buying small bottles, right? So you should see 80 patients and then 120 patients. And in fact, what happens is like 20 this month, 20 next month, the following month and so it ends up being really flat and that means you probably have nobody that's compliant or they're compliant in a way that like who knows what they're washing their lids with yeah right and and that i think is one of the big places where when we go out to talk to people it's surprising so like your office as an example sold the equivalent of about 20 to 25 bottles a month yep. and it was pretty static Mm -hmm. and that day they sold 16. so the real measurement is how many of those 16 come back in you know first of January and are like, yeah, I'm out of teacher role and I really need more, more. you know, because because ultimately, that's the way both your office is going to get that increasing revenue or, you know, subscribe or fill in the blank of doing whatever. And so we're spending a lot of time trying to think through, like, ultimately, we want to do what's right for your patients, right? We want your patients to be in compliance. So it's like our job is to figure out how they're buying more toothpaste. So that when they show up six months later, they haven't not they have they have brushed their teeth for six months rather than, oh, I brushed it really steadily for four and then forgot for five months. Yep. And it's like that's what we are trying to avoid. Within that, very few offices are doing that. And like we can compare that data to like scleral contact lens orders, like kit mm-hmm. orders. Sclerals are like you sell a scleral box and they subscribe because it's about five dollars cheaper than going to Amazon and you don't have to yep. worry about it, and it's exactly what your optometrist asked. And, and so they're just, I mean, regular, it's like, yep, I bought it. And then I subscribed and they just, I mean, we send those out every day. Whereas the teacher or dry eye stuff, not nearly as compliant, not nearly as sophisticated with regards to, oh yeah, I got to stay on this. This isn't a thing that I do once. So, you know, when we think about your office, you're more typical. Like it's really rare that we have a significant, uh, subscription on teacher or subscription on dry eye.
1: Well, we're looking at being no longer typical. We want to be atypical. So I know we're working on the on, on the simplicity because we also found when we looked at the the numbers that we just had a lot of really cool products, but too many really cool products that we were offering, and I think we are overwhelming uh, customers and ourselves with the choices. Uh, I, we didn't have a good way other than getting your car drive back, you know, pick up something and buy it. And so we're we're building out the the boxes um, to build that subscription order so that it's there in front of them.
0: I mean, we, we try to work with offices to say, we're not, I'm not a doctor. I don't know which eye drops you should recommend. I, you know, if you say, Hey, we really want to use this and we've never heard of it, which happens not infrequently, we'll track it down and get a wholesale arrangement with those companies. And, and our thought process is like, look, if you want, if you don't want any peak products in your box, we're still going to make money on it. Mm-hmm. You're going to make money on it. We're all going to win. And you know who else is going to win? You're patient because almost always when we do these orders, we're getting them about 10 to 20% off what they would be buying on Amazon. Yeah. So it's like, if you really believe that they should use X, Y, and Z, get it to them cheap. Get it yeah. to them at a place that it's showing up when they need it. Yeah. You know, they're begging you to solve this problem. And like, we're giving you a way to do it efficiently, cost effectively, like all these things. And it's like, and by the way, you're making the money. Yep. not the richest guy on earth
1: no and uh and i like that and circling back around to where we started at the beginning it just starts with a question of do you want fries with that right you want fries with that how often are you washing your eyelids right because eyelids are gross 100 percent. Uh, which is an amazing statement that uh and, and that you guys uh you've trademarked right we have Be- trademarked eyelids because are eyelids are gross. are gross and i think that simple of a statement it, it just you said it to my team and they opened their eyes um no pun intended I'm I'm sort of surprised you know I'm I'm a business guy
0: I've been super grossed out for the last five years as we've looked at magnified pictures of eyelids uh you know I like between my bomi and gland expression and people who are like got you know sleeves of mites on their lids I don't know how more people aren't just sort of freaked out by their lids like it's rare that we run into people that start at eyelids are gross most people are like really no eyes totally fine and then you ask have you cleaned it it's like i can't imagine why people think eyes are clean and like beautiful and wonderful when they haven't cleaned them at, like ever in some cases like how, how do you like why would you think that part of your body would be better than fill in the blank
1: i just think we don't think about it I I I think it's, it's a, you know, the question's not, you know, why do you think not? I think it's just, you just, you know, we're not, we're not thinking about it because it's not discussed, right? We know to brush our teeth because it's in front of us constantly. And that industry has made a concerted effort to invest in education. Um, As of yet, the, you know, the eyelid cleansing industry and optometry and high care industry have not made a concerted effort to overly market and educate uh, in that aspect, which means there's a huge opportunity for us to do so.
0: That's right. That's right. So. And the great thing is, yes, it benefits peak, but ultimately, I think it's a way for optometrists to shift the conversation from just wear glasses cutters to like, we're medical professionals that provide a real service that is super influential in your life. So like when you run into somebody who's 60 years old, who has a cute dry eye and can't go outside, like you feel pretty great when you solve that problem. Like yeah. when you run into somebody that's basically like yeah i go to bed at seven o'clock because my eyes hurt so bad you feel pretty great when you solve that problem you know and and they aren't hard solutions and a lot of them are just like take the time today to save your eyes for tomorrow and i just don't think we think about it that way because i just think we haven't been programmed to think of our eyes in a way you know i i used to teach college classes and i would ask people would you rather lose your sight or lose your teeth it was about 5050 on losing their teeth versus their sight. I was like, Are you insane? (laughs) And then I would say, because it's interesting, you spend more time caring for your teeth than your eyes. Mm -hmm. And and I was shocked. I'm consistently shocked whenever I ask questions about dentistry versus optometry. So I'll ask dentists, like, why do we come back every six months? And they'll be like, I don't know. And the answer is because they built a really good repeating business model. So like, Let's imagine that it was every eight months that you went to see your dentist. Well, every two years, they'd lose one appointment. It's like, you know, how do you do that same thing where you're creating a business model innovation rather than just a scientific innovation? And, yeah. and those are the sorts of things that I think we can learn from dentistry, we can learn from dermatology, we can learn from other places that have already started to um, put some of these processes in place.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely, and, and ultimately it falls back on one of my favorite Zig Ziglar quotes of to get everything you want, just help enough people get what they want. That's right. And they want eyes that work and don't feel bad yeah, and don't look bad. And then, you know, starting with just cleaning them every day is uh, makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Huge. Yep. So Tom, we, um, went on a journey today, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate the time. I appreciate the insights and, uh, I've certainly taken a lot of notes and I had an idea of what we were going to talk about and I've already chatted with you. So I, i'm I'm sure everybody else did as well Um, i will put uh links in the the show notes uh, if you want to get a hold of peak learn more about uh peak and and what they're doing um uh, really appreciate it and and i think the story behind peak is you know the same story we're all working within the office just seeing a need and trying to fit a need chris and cheryl certainly uh, certainly did that and uh, and i appreciate your insights in there and helping Helping us make it all better, helping us become better in the practice. I appreciate our conversation. So thank you. Thanks, Ash Werner. Yep. Awesome. Well, until next time and uh appreciate everyone listening and joining the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media. Please leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh we wanna know what uh you're what you're thinking of our conversations. We want you to be a part of those. Certainly want you to share the episode as well. And if you're so kind, leave a five-star review. That helps us in the rankings. Until next time.